0: So as of Wednesday, more than 150,000 people have died from the coronavirus in the U.S. alone. And we should honest, be honest that that number is likely an undercount due to the inconsistencies or sometimes willful um, misfiling of how various localities attribute COVID-19 as a cause of death. Worldwide, more than 600,000 people have died of coronavirus, and this death toll is anticipated to continue mounting in coming months, though we all hope that a vaccine or effective therapeutic is hopefully coming by the end of the year or early next year. So in such a time as this, taking a step back uh, to reflect on our own mortality seems in order. Now, I'll readily confess that confronting the subject of death can feel like a lot to take on. It can be a heavy, freighted topic, but it's also incredibly important. As the saying goes, none of us are getting out of this alive. (laughs) One option, of course, is denial, trying to avoid the topic of death as much as possible until our time inevitably comes or the time comes of someone close to us. But I invite you to consider that there is a better way Keeping our mortality in mind regularly and cultivating practices of dying well to the extent that is within any of our control, that can actually be a key part and sometimes a a deeply moving, meaningful, and beautiful part of living well. Dying well can be part of living well. Along these lines, my sermon title, The Four Reminders, that comes from the Buddhist tradition in which reminders of mortality can be a central practice. These four reminders are sometimes linked to the origin story of the Buddha. After all, the rich and privileged Prince Siddhartha Gautama was launched onto the spiritual quest that would lead him to become the Buddha precisely when the young prince wandered outside the protected gates of his palace and encountered three visceral existential reminders about impermanence and change. He encountered, in turn, old age, sickness, and death. He walked past a person whose body had grown frail, past a person whose body had become ill, and past a body that had died. In each of these cases, the young Siddhartha, the future Buddha, came to realize, I am not exempt. I am not exempt. And that can be a powerful phrase to practice. I am not exempt. I, too, will grow older get sick and someday die now my intent is not to be unduly morbid instead it's to realize that reminders of our mortality that none of us are promised even the next moment that can wake us up into a more full and free experience of life that we still have we're not going to be around forever we're not going to be around forever so stop sweating the small stuff. Let that bleep go. It's not worth your time in the grand scheme of things. We're not promised even tomorrow. So let's make the most of the time that we have here and now. Can you maybe feel that aliveness, that, that edge that remembering our mortality can bring, that sharpness and focus it can bring to our living? And along those lines, the fourth reminder is that contemplative practices are one way that can be a path of liberation, not an escape from those first three reminders of old age, sickness, and death, but a way of transforming our relationship to unsatisfactoriness and change. As the saying goes, we can't stop the waves of change from coming, but we can learn to surf, to be better surfers on the waves. If you'll indulge me in a related tangent, part of what comes to mind for me when I think about death is sex, not in some weird way, you know, more in the way of one of those other big freighted parts of the human condition. And it regularly gives me joy to be part of a UU movement in which we are more than five decades into a commitment to comprehensive lifespan sexuality education. We call that program OWL our whole lives uh, it was launched 50 years ago in 1970. And some of you may have been around long enough to remember when it was originally called AYS about your sexuality. I'm proud that for more than five decades, Unitarian Universalism has been at the forefront of the sex positive movement, affirming a wide range of sexuality as natural and healthy, emphasizing safer sex practices, consent, body positivity and reproductive justice. And I bring up our decades long commitment to the sex positive movement because we, you use, have some work to do to be as equally committed to the death positive movement. Death positive, you may be asking yourself, what is that? Well, for the uninitiated, allow me to introduce you to Caitlin Doty, one of my favorite death positive advocates. I'll share my screen with you for a, for a moment. So you can see uh, Caitlin on the left wearing a death-positive T-shirt. You can see her on the upper right holding what's sometimes known as a memento mori, right, Uh, a remembrance of death, a skull. And you can see her books in the lower right-hand corner. Dodie describes herself as a mortician, an activist, and a funeral industry rabble-rouser. And I highly recommend all three of her books. Her memoir, Smoke Gets in Your Eyes and Other Lessons from the Crematory, her log from here to eternity, traveling the world to find the good death. And her most recent book, Will My Cat Eat My Eyeballs? And other big questions from tiny mortals about death. Her writing is equal parts hilarious and profound. And some of you may recall that about four years ago, I preached a sermon on mortality inspired by Dodi's memoir, as well as another really important book that I recommend if you haven't read it, a physician, Atul Gawande's book, Being Mortal. If you're wrestling with end-of-life decisions or someone in your life is, Being Mortal is a very short, super helpful, and extraordinarily important book but for this morning i'd like to share with you the eight central values of the death positive movement as articulated by a group that Doty helped found called the order of the good death hiding death and dying behind closed doors does more harm than good for our society the culture of silence around death should be broken through um, discussions, gathering, art, innovations, and scholarship. Talking about and engaging with my inevitable death, it's not morbid, it's about a natural curiosity about the human condition. None of us are getting out of this alive, so why not talk about it and how to do it better, more sanely, more humanely, with more compassion, transparency. The dead body is not dangerous there's a lot of misinformation around that I, I can't fully go into it this morning, but like if someone dies, you don't have to have the body removed immediately. It can stay there overnight if that's helpful to you. People used to keep their bodies at home for some people some cultures still do um, so and that everyone should be empowered should they wish to be to be involved in the care for their own dead. The laws that govern death, dying, and end of life should honor a person's wishes, regardless of any of the contingencies. And a lot of this has to do with the death with dignity movement. Again, I don't have time to fully get into that. This is related to euthanasia and various topics. Google death with dignity if you want more information, or I'm glad to talk with any of you further my death should be handled in a way that does not do great harm to the environment. And there's a lot of people increasingly realizing that embalming and putting people in like a casket and all this cement that that that's all not great for the earth. Even cremation is not, does environmental harm in a way. So I encourage you, if you haven't before, Google green burial. Um, So a lot of really good information about there about just put us back in the earth, which is what a lot of cultures um, have done. Other options as well like Sky Burial. If you don't know about Sky Burial, Caitlin would be glad to tell you about that. It's in her books. Uh, My family and friends should know my end of life wishes and have the necessary paperwork. So Atoll Gawande's book gets into that, but also Google the conversation project. If you're not sure, how do I start to have this conversation about what I want for the end of my life? Google conversation project, Google five wishes. There are tools out there to help you do that or to have those conversations with those you love. And my open, honest advocacy around death can make a difference and can change culture. And our culture is changing, even if we still have a long way to go. One of the most pervasive death shifts that I've seen in my lifetime is the hospice movement. Started in the 1960s and entered the U.S. in the mid-1970s, hospice has created a much-needed sea change in empowering greater death with dignity. Relatedly, some of you may be familiar with the word doula, D-O-U-L-A-S, in the context of accompanying, guiding, and empowering people to give birth. There are also an increasing number of people getting trained as death doulas to accompany, guide, and empower people at the end of life. So, Google Death Doulas if you're interested in that. Some of you may have even heard or participated in the Death Cafe movement. It was founded in 2004. You can Google Death Cafe, deathcafe.com. It's a way to connect people who just want to talk about death in an open, honest way. These are not grief support groups, um, they're just People that want to talk about death. As one of the promotional slogans says, death, ca- death cafes never involve um, agendas, advertising, or set conclusions, but interesting conversations are guaranteed. You can Google death cafe, and uh, put in the Frederick zip code or your zip code. The closest ones to us are in Northern Virginia or D.C., but maybe one of you wants to start a death cafe um, locally where you live. The one in Alexandria, by the way, has moved to Zoom. And anyone here or worldwide can get involved in that one or others. Here's the description. Death cafes are an opportunity to demystify the death experience. We offer an open, safe environment for discussing thoughts and feelings about all manner of death and dying. At a death cafe, people drink tea, eat cake, and discuss death. After all, life's short. Eat dessert first. Our aim, they say, is to increase awareness of death to help people make the most of their finite lives. Uh, So you can see here, eat, eat cake, drink tea, maybe a little wine, and also the Death Cafe. Talking about death won't kill you, right? So if this um, sermon leaves you a little death curious, perhaps zooming into an upcoming death cafe might be right for you. But overall, the the hope is just to be more open and honest and transparent about our inevitable death, and that that can empower us to make the most of the life that we do have. An ancient Buddhist inquiry puts it this way: since death alone is certain, and the time of death uncertain, what should I do? Since death alone is certain. And time of death is uncertain. What shall I do? Just kind of dropping that question into your meditation and see what emerges. As we sit with that question, allowing it to sink in, I want to conclude with a story. A few years ago, my colleague, the Reverend Georgette Wonders, what a wonderful name for a minister, Reverend Wonders, uh, she preached a sermon on the subject of death and mortality to Bradford UU Community Church in Kenosha, Wisconsin, the congregation she served as minister at that time. That sermon was titled Facing Death, the UU Book of the Dead, so kind of playing on the Tibetan Book of the Dead. She preached that sermon on Sunday, August 6, 2014, with no knowledge at the time that she would be killed two days later in a car accident. I invite you to hear part of the final section of Reverend Wonder's sermon on Facing Death, a UU Book of the Dead. She is speaking to us from the grave, so to speak. Both her words and the example of how she lived her life remain a legacy for us that she left, has left behind as a gift for those of us who are still living. As you listen, notice if any words or phrases particularly resonate with you for this season of your life. These are Reverend Wonders' words. The way we prepare for the day when we must say goodbye to a loved one, regardless of which side of the divide we find ourselves, whether we're saying goodbye or whether we're the ones being said goodbye to. Regardless, the way we prepare is to live each day as if it were the only day. Every time you part from this day forward, Tell your loved ones you love them, even if you're in and out all day long. Appreciate the little things, the common, everyday things, because they will become almost unbearably precious when death comes knocking at the door. Overcome your resentments and learn not to accumulate them. Be useful and light upon the earth. Live a grateful life. As the late UU minister Forrest Church wrote, death is not life's goal, only life's terminus. And the one thing that can't be taken from us, even by death, is the love we give away before we go. So begin now or continue on to love as if our lives depend on it, for they do. It is a miracle that any of us are here at all for any time that anything is. So in closing, consider this poem by Mary Oliver in Blackwater Woods. To live in this world, you must be able to do three things. To love what is mortal. To hold it against your bones, knowing that your own life depends on it. And when the time comes, to let it go to let it go. As we continue to hold these words in our heart, let's sing together. We laugh. We cry.